1: everybody. Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala, and I know entirely too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. An expert, dare I say it? I don't know. I've been quoted in some publications, so maybe we're at that point. With me, as always... My co-host, the skeptic, the voice of the people. She's excited that it's ballot season. Kristen stuttered, Hey, Kristen.
2: Wow. Telling me what I'm excited about, Joe. I am excited that it's ballot season. You're not wrong, but I I don't appreciate the implication. Doesn't mean it's right. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's
1: uh, let's let's bring in our guest. excited to have him with us. Uh, You might know him from Flux blog. He's a music writer and he's here with us today. Matthew Perpetua. Hey, Matthew. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Off the top, I think I got to get into this. I got to ask you, when it comes to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, a very weird institution for people, even music writers, uh, what is your reference level for this thing coming in
0: pretty solid i mean i worked at rolling stone for a few years and like rolling stone is obviously very invested in the rock hall in literal and figurative ways um, oh yeah yeah very very much so <laughs> yeah and so between that and because i think like in the few years i was there i did a lot of news so i covered a lot of news relating to the rock hall though Gone to my head, I couldn't tell you who were nominated in those years or went through. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, but I also, you know, just kind of connected to lots of other music writer people, so it, it always comes up every year. So, you know, I'm, I wouldn't say like it's something I'm an expert in, but I know probably more than most would about, you know, how it works, the machinations behind it, and who's in and who's not in, and probably the reasons why. Oh,
1: yeah, that's a degree of connection that uh will serve you. <laughs> not yeah. like you have you're going to need to compete or anything. So you have a you have a good reference level. Do you
0: have any opinions? I think a lot of people will take it probably more seriously than it should, which is not to say that it shouldn't be taken seriously at all. Um, I kind of approach these things kind of similar to the Grammys or you know, all those kind of things, but with the added layer that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is. A tourist destination. So I think that some of the interests in who you want to be in it is in some ways geared towards what would get yeah, a tourist really hype who's going go to go like, to
2: Cleveland for this. Yeah, that's yeah, part exactly. of the equation.
0: And like, like who would, who, like, what would be like a really good exhibit? Because radio had gotten a couple years ago. I remember, like, people like, yeah, that'd be a great exhibit. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, there's a lot to to showcase. People will be very excited to go there and see Radiohead because that's a band a lot of people have like way more than a uh, casual attachment to. Mm
1: -hmm. You know, there's a lot of variables, but the. Yeah, exhibit aspect, the induction ceremony aspect as well. You know what will make a good program for HBO.
0: The other thing about the Rocker Hall of Fame is I think there's always the tension of people taking the name very literally or not. Mm, right. Mm. And I think like there's a lot of push towards it just being a generalized music Hall of Fame, like a popular music Hall of Fame. And I think that's good. But I feel like if you're going to call it the Rocker Hall of Fame, you still have to kind of rep for that for, for a certain chunk of it. So if you're trying trying to sketch out like a rock cannon, there's still lots of things they should have, but they don't yet. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Ooh. I think that's the key thing there.
1: Now to get to know you, since you've never been on the show before, why don't we play Matthew is a Rock Hall voter?
0: And I am going to share the ballot with you. Okay. So yeah, I was actually looking at this before, like who is up this year. And mm-hmm. it's such a weird mix of things because there's nothing that I would look though I won't say nothing but I would say the vast majority of this I would not object to it getting in.
2: It's a really uncontroversial ballot from top to bottom there's not many people that are gag worthy if you will. Yeah. I mean the
0: one thing is like I I wouldn't say Eminem is undeserving but I would say it's too soon for Eminem way too soon. There's a lot of even if we're just trying to fill in rappers there's a lot of rappers who should probably get in before him um but yeah off the top of my head is like outcasts should probably get in before m does
2: mm-hmm. or be yeah. nominated yeah they've been eligible okay, Clan
0: should be in before m yeah so m uh, god he's famous so so a good, exhibit. A good yeah. exhibit yeah yeah mm-hmm.
2: and in cleveland come on
0: i think the one thing i look at here where i'm like okay that should be in no questions asked is dolly parton dolly parton is an icon beloved just in all sorts of ways important and uh Culturally interesting, Dolly Parton should be in. No question.
2: So interesting too that you started off though this whole thing being like, all right, if you're going to be, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you got to really rep for rock and roll in and of itself or whatever. Yeah, she, I feel
0: like Dolly Parton at least
1: she's
2: transcended Part
0: like yeah, like but she's also does like country rock. It's like it's not
1: that big of a leap. I mean, they have the Eagles in, right? And this is kind of proving our theory that everybody is going to vote for Dolly.
2: Yep.
0: Yeah, we believe she'll be. in yeah, I mean, it's like a, she, she's like the the one clear icon here, like the icon of icons.
2: Yeah, she's the headline. There's nobody bigger on the ballot. I would
0: put Rage in because I don't think they do well enough with metal. It's a a rap metal band, kind of interesting and important in lots of ways. Non-white singer and lead guitarist that goes a long way given how much of the bands in there would be mostly white, if not mm-hmm. all white. Mm-hmm. Also, the, we'll get into this as we move along. I feel like they're very bad with the 90s. So Rage also keeps yeah. the 90s by. It's a slow trickle.
1: You get maybe one 90s rock act a year. I mean, and typically it's the one that isn't. Rage. Rage has been yeah, on the ballot a few times at this point.
0: I, I understand that also um, Tom Morello is on like, some of the nominated committee. The yeah, yeah, so he's got some sway. You know, I look at, like, okay, who are the two 90s acts here? It's Raging the Machine and Beck, and we're, we're going to talk about Beck a lot in this episode, obviously, but. Beck is a very well-connected industry person, and these like lots of people like him in the music industry. So that I think that goes a long way towards explaining why Beck is there, and you know, a whole range of arguably more famous and more important '90s acts are not. Uh, Kate Bush, I have no problem with, but I don't know. I, I feel like it would make a lot of people happy, but also make a lot of people confused. Um, <laughs> That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's also like the, the bias of the Rock Hall. I think is very American and she's almost almost like too British. Yeah, that's what will keep her out. (laughs) Yeah, it's the fame part that's
2: going to be difficult for her.
0: Like Eurythmics are also British, but they're well-known and Annie Mm -hmm. Lennox. And and Dave Stewart, another person who's like a major, like super connected music industry guy. I don't really have a a lot of passion for Eurythmics. I do like Annie Lennox. Man, a lot of these things are like things like I, I, again, like I would have no like real objection to. I think, okay, MC5 and New York Dolls, they're nominated over and over again. I think just give up. (laughs) Just give up on them. Or or let the Hall put
1: them in in a side category just on their own, which is what they are going to do. We're predicting that that's what will happen with MC5 this year.
0: Yeah, just kind of like, here's like our proto-punk category. And, you know, MC5... I think really is is the one song. It's kick out the jams, and the rest is kind of there as well. But it's really kick out the jams. So it's like really getting in on one song, which seems weird. Right. There's a deep influence, but the catalog isn't long. Is the are the Kingsmen in? No, they're not. So okay, the Kingsmen should be in there before MC5 because you're going to do like what's the more important one song? Louis Louie's the more important one. Song. <laughs>
1: but
2: isn't Louis Louie in the singles category? Or am it I is, wrong? but we don't okay. talk
0: about the singles
1: category. But we don't talk about the singles evaporated. category
2: because that was one it year fully? for all intents and purposes, yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, but you know, I guess the argument with MC Five is that it's a little bit deeper than than the Kingsmen, who you know, and they're they're a more serious band than the Kingsmen. Who,
0: yeah, you know, but I, yeah, again, so it's, it's really the, the thing of like it's really like the one really cool important song. I don't know. I'm an MC Five skeptic here.
1: Yeah, I think as are many. I mean, they haven't they haven't gotten in after this is their sixth time on the ballot. You know, so at those... what
0: point do they just go like, okay, forget it. You had enough shots. You're you're not getting put up again.
1: Well, we saw LL last year, it was his sixth time on the ballot. So that's why we're thinking
0: six is about the... Didn't he basically get put in though, like outside of the voting?
1: That's that's what I mean. So yeah. like after six or so times on a ballot with nothing, similarly with Kraftwerk last year, they, it seems like the Hall is just going to put them in either as early influence, which would make sense for MC5, early influence on Punk. That's fine. Or they just use the catch all musical excellence category, which is what
0: they did with LL. So, like moving through this, like Duran Duran, I think it's as part of, and I guess your rhythmics as well. It's is part of a, a general like filling in the 80s.
2: Yes, eking out the 80s. We swept out the 70s. We scraped out the 60s. We're eking out the 80s. So, and yeah. Someday I, the 90s will get their turn.
0: There's just like a lot of like super major 90s ones where it's like, okay, you're clearly waiting for like the next decade or later in this decade to kind of get to those
2: so who's on your ballot so far
0: the two I would definitely for: Dolly and Rage god the rest of it's, it's so hard because like Beck is my favorite artist here but I think it's way too early for Beck and Beck is a weird to cut the line ahead of a lot of other people including artists who are like directly connected to him like I would certainly prefer Sonic Youth to be in before Beck
1: but the argument might be you put in Beck to make room for more you know weird artists to sneak onto the ballot you know.
0: Well the, the the thing that what what does Beck represent here? Beck is the first indie aesthetic Skinny artist to get really... but, but it's like, but it's more like but it's more like he represents he's the first. Thing that I can think of that's been nominated for this that represents an entire lane of indie rock,
2: yeah, of indie rock's mainstreaming almost of the thing that would lead to the resurgence of garage in the early two thousands or whatever,
0: right? But if Beck's there, like naturally, you'd want to get Sonic Youth and you'd want to get Pavement. Pavement's absolutely destined to be like this MC5 New York Dolls thing, but like mm-hmm. in the future, like like Pavement's up again, like yeah, yeah, Pavement's absolutely. My, Pavement's my favorite band of all time, so I'm looking forward to them just being thrown into this mill. Which I think Devo, Devo is absolutely in a pavement lane here too, where it's like, Mm -hmm. this is a a very undoubtedly important band who is beloved, but I think not fully understood by a casual person. Because I think Devo for most people is Mm Whippet. You know, I I think I would vote for Devo because I think they could use the vote. And if you're going to have like a punk vote, Devo deserves your punk vote more than MC5 or New York Dolls. Did.
1: And also we mm-hmm. should point out that you're wearing glasses, so of course you're <laughs> going to you're going to want Devo
0: over MC5 and New York Dolls. Pat Benatar is a real like sure, but I don't know how I would, like vote for Pat Benatar. Judas Priest I don't really care for, but like again, like they're pretty bad with metal. uh Fela Kuti is a weird fit for the rock hall, like a really great artist and performer, but feels a little forced, honestly.
2: It feels like the Rock Hall's trying something with Felicucci. It feels like they're trying to be like, huh?
0: do they have anyone else who would be like under like the problematic term of like uh world music i mean if you want to consider bob marley that which i would say the appeal in america would probably negate that you know you know who i I think i might vote for here is kind of a this letter in is carly simon i like that because carly simon is someone who i think has become sort of underrated through time and Mm -hmm. i think fits in alongside some other people who are already in so it's kind of like why isn't carly simon there you know yeah what took so long yeah so i think carly simon is actually a pretty solid vote and i think i would also vote for a tribe called quest because it's definitely the better rap option here and i think tribe is really good you know they fit naturally alongside the beastie boys and public enemy which are already in good for the exhibit. <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. I think it's at five. Yeah. I think I got that five is five,
1: five, I believe. Dolly, Rage, Devo, Carly, Tribe. Yeah, an eclectic mix, but really, how can you not be with this ballot?
0: I mean, good for them for getting almost
1: like a randomness of, of yes, that are yes, it. mm-hmm.
2: it's a really strange mix this year,
1: yeah, but you know, we like it and. We're curious to see what happens with the final class, which will be, you know, the more populous names. There's a degree of realism that has to go into this where, you know, you you can hold off on Beck because you want pavement, but you also know.
0: Who are your favorites for actually getting in? Like Dolly almost certainly getting in. I would say Mm Duran Duran and
1: Eminem seem like they're almost certainly getting in. I think Carly will get in like strong name recognition. Lionel Richie as well. Just like two names that are so huge those tend to be the name. Yeah, names I mean, they're just kind
0: of old veterans. And if this is supposed yeah. to be just like, the, you know, here's all the people that you like from the past. Like, why shouldn't they be there? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. All shaking hands and hugging.
0: I feel like it's a
1: race for if there's going to be a sixth slot, is it going to be Pat Benatar? Is it going to be... I sure hope so. <laughs> Dionne Warwick also, you know, has legendary status and has renewed interest in the past few years. Dionne Warwick
0: seems like probably the most random, though, because the things that she would be most famous for seem like a very odd fit for the Hall, like this kind of stuff where it's like her back rack.
1: You know, a more adult contemporary side of things, which we maybe don't associate with rock and roll, but she's definitely a huge force in the era.
0: I would say like when you look at like Dionne Warwick, Carly Simon, Lionel Richie, like those are all things where it's like, I don't think any movie upset for them to get through. They're definitely like, but they got their legend cards a long, long time ago.
1: Yeah, and you know, a number of those people, I think are enshrined in other places, like the Songwriters Hall of Fame or or whatever. I mean, Dolly has just about every accolade you could
0: get, especially in in the country music world. See, I think that if you put Dolly up and you don't put her through, then people are furious.
2: Oh, there's just no way. (laughs) There's absolutely not a chance on earth that she doesn't get in this year. There's just, I mean, I've, and I love Dolly Parton. So I'm like very excited that she's on the bill, but I'm also like not that excited because it's like such an obvious slam dunk that I'm like, Yeah. yeah, there we go.
0: Did you see Dolly the last time she was doing that big round of touring? I guess were a couple I years ago. I saw her
2: ago. in like 2017. In
0: yeah, I may have seen, I may have said it was 2018, but yeah, I, I, I saw at the Hollywood Bowl. In Los yeah, Angeles. I saw at the
2: bowl. I was I was yeah. probably the same thing. Yeah, she was. Yeah, that, that was fantastic. so great. But
0: it's also like that was because you can verify. Like that's got to be one of the most like multi generational audiences I've been in.
2: Yeah, she's the most like unifying figure in America.
1: Yeah, make her time president. is right for Dolly <laughs> to <laughs> do go. Let's do it.
2: In. I, that's my new thing: is literally just make her president. Like install her.
1: <laughs> I don't no care. Election. Yeah. <laughs> no
2: election installer and it needs see, to be a bloody
1: coup who has That's the fine.
2: nerve to complain i don't it will not be it will be a velvet revolution <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be amazing healing our country through art let's do it
1: uh, but you know who i i think honestly could be jockeying for that sixth slot is beck I,
2: bo-
1: I think he could i mean when it comes to new relatively newly eligible artists we get one typically a year and if we get two, it's it's someone from the hip hop lane. And it's someone from and usually it's been bands, but I, I think Beck and like you said, industry connections, but let's yeah. let's talk
0: about Beck. Well he, and- he's also kinda of like multi genre as well. Because I mean mm-hmm. Beck's done a really mm-hmm. fair deal of rap and R&B in his career too. So I think that's one of the things that Beck really has going for him is that his body of work covers a lot of ground that if you don't really care for one version of Beck, you might really love the other. So if you don't really like the Odalay Midnight Vultures Beck, you might be a huge fan of Sea Change Beck. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he can pull in votes from different people in that way. And then also I think just the, the sheer range that he's shown over the years I think is unusual. There's not a lot of people who have credibly done as many things that he has done in his career.
2: Oh, Matthew, wait until you hear about Joe's little categories.
0: He, is, <laughs>
1: he
2: has a whole rubric that he would like to discuss back through. Let's do it. A it's lens- true. Uh, but the way he likes to begin is, and I'll go ahead and just cue you up. Thank the way you, he likes to begin. Thank you. I just didn't want, I was like, I was like, Joe's like the categories, man. We'll get to them. Um, <laughs> uh, the way that he likes to begin is, do you remember the first time that you heard Beck or do you remember where or when or how you first heard Beck's music? And do you remember kind of what song or what the instance oh, was? Oh
0: yeah, this this one's easy for anyone who'd be even remotely close to my age. It would absolutely just be hearing loser on MTV Mm -hmm.
2: because
0: that was such an MTV song I mean it was playing the radio too yeah but like that's an MTV song that was like a song that's like in in the way that MTV worked in its prime where things would just be plucked down from the heavens and then like ubiquitous within two days just because they had just had that degree of power when you first heard Beck were you into it I don't think I was like super bonkers for Beck right away. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't buy Mellow Gold. I, I think I kind of got into him more with Odalay like a, a year or two later. But yeah, so I don't think I was like as heavy into Beck from the start. If I'm trying to like kind of time travel to, I guess I'm probably like 14, mm-hmm. something like that. I think I was probably into it, but probably was like, oh, this is just a, a, an MTV song in the way that a lot of things were. Yeah, and I think that's how a lot of people felt. The very fact that I bought so many things but did not buy Mellow Gold, I did not actually own a physical copy mellow gold for many years i never had a bad feeling about Beck. i think i just kind of thought it was kind of like a one-hit wonder which i think was a lot of people's assumption
2: i think that was what seemed to be the trajectory in a way it seemed like a one-off almost like a novelty song i think Mm -hmm. when it came Mm -hmm. out feeling very spoken word using it he hadn't gotten a sample yet you know like i think odelay was and we will obviously when we get to those categories we will talk about how important that album was i think with regard to like main streaming sampling especially in rock music or like alternative rock yeah. music which is something that you just weren't seeing happening at that time it's like yeah he burst onto the scene and everyone was like oh this like skinny blonde guy you know just kind of talking nonsense it's like he's probably gonna just be uh, you, he could have been a not a surf like um.
0: yeah this is the idea like, that the MTV is kind of cycling through a lot of alt-rock novelties at that time so it was hard to say like what was going i mean
2: what was this? It was 94. I mean, this was... Was this, like, kind yeah, of...
0: A year after Radiohead Creep and, like, Radiohead yeah. and Beck both have the initial thing of being known for this really famous song about having low self-esteem that is still, like, one of their biggest songs, respectively. But mm-hmm. I think it was completely logical to look at this. It's like, oh, this is is the novelty song and we're, you know, we'll move on. There's probably not an artist who's going to have huge staying power. Um, But I think there's kind of two things with Beck from the start that kind of pointed in the direction of where, you know, how things would work out is the first is like still on MTV. Um, He had that very famous appearance on 120 Minutes with Thurston Moore from Sonic Youth and uh, I think also Mike D from the Beastie Boys. So he's also like completely bizarre in it. It's like kind of like weird Dada performance. Mm -hmm. Uh, that they're just doing on, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's it's one o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, but it's still like TV. So it's still seen by lots and lots of people, but you can find that on YouTube. It's incredible footage. You know, so he's kind of presenting himself as this absolute weirdo figure, which is makes you very beloved in that period of time for sure. But it's also the, this kind of pretty serious co-sign from the Sonic Youth and the Beastie Boys,
3: mm-hmm. which kind of
0: like the, the grand arbiters of a certain kind of cool through, especially in that moment in time. And then I think from there, he was also really seeing a lot of like uh, indie stuff before Odellay came out. So he's kind of, you know, getting more of that kind of credibility on his side and just kind of uh, creating a body of work so it's harder to dismiss. And you can be like, oh, you know, I don't really like Loser. I really like Cyanide Breathman.
3: Definitely, this is the wrong place to be. This blood on the
1: futon. Yeah, I mean, when that was, fire. you know, by design from his perspective, you know, when Loser was such a big hit the labels came calling and because there was a bit of a bidding war he could construct the relationship he had with his label and part of the deal with geffen was that he could release these kind of weirder more experimental albums on indie labels whenever he wanted and then would deliver the the major label release as well but he had the freedom to like for example go to k records you know with calvin johnson from from beat happening and and do something kind of weird
2: which is also interesting because i mean i think his music was quite weird for that time or you know what i mean like even the mainstream hits like i don't think like where it's at is like what you would consider like a radio ready mainstream hit you know it's kind of jerky it's got it yeah it's eccentric exactly yeah
0: yeah i mean it's, it's uh i think people were ready for that if just because of how popular the Beastie Boys were. Mm-hmm. So, that's like, true, not that's really true. Doing and Paul's
2: Boutique had really kind of set Beastie everything Boys
0: up. In that record, Odelay, he is a collaboration with the Dust Brothers who mm-hmm. did... Uh, the BC Boys, Paul's Boutique. So there's kind of a direct line between those Which two Which is things. really
2: interesting to, like thinking about that now. But yeah, I, yeah.
0: I, mean, I think that the thing with Beck is that he's always been very good at creating this career where he can have like this real artistic freedom and ability to be as weird as he likes. But also he's got a lot of career savvy. Oh yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about the lead up
1: to his break, get into his life before then, his early career. Beck is the, the son of artist parents you know his mom was part of the Warhol scene BB Hansen and his father he did and continues to do string arrangements for Beck and for a lot of artists his yeah. his discography is
0: is quite deep he's also a fluxus artist
1: i believe his grandfather on his oh, mother's his grandfather. side right, right right got it yeah was but like yeah, the he, he, the he's from
0: like, he's a family of like Bohemian artists, and he was also kind of born into Scientology, a very particular kind of LA guy. Mm-hmm. I think I think Los Angeles is very big part of his whole deal. Yeah, and including
1: the you know Latin parts of LA. You mm-hmm. know, he, he he grew up around that, and you see that in so much of his work. Whether it's an album title like Guero Soil or it's un Perdedor, yeah, yeah, like yeah. It, it's all it's all over there. That influence has has stuck with him. Yeah, the Scientology thing is, is strange when you try to get your finger on it because he has contradicted himself. There have been interviews where he said, you know, I, I yeah. am a Scientologist. And then when he wasn't, he, there was a weird interview where he was like, I was
0: never a Scientologist.
1: Even though yeah, we I, I
0: think like on one hand, his relationship is probably similar to, you know, the way like I'm technically Catholic, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm not really, I'm not Catholic culturally kind of Catholic, if you will, but yeah, I think it's I think there's some of that to it, but I think there's you actually will if you really go really look at it, there's like little bits of Scientology ideas that will pop up in his music once in a blue moon, mm-hmm. but not on the song Blue Moon. <laughs> um, in the more recent past, and this is like the last record he released. Hyperspace? That's basically a record about him and his family falling apart, getting divorced from his wife of many years, who's also like a Scientologist. Yeah, Ribisi, that's kind of famous.
2: Oh, Giovanni Rabisi's sister? Oh. Yeah, Re-
0: yeah, yeah, so if we read sister. between the lines Twins? of what happened, it seems like he basically became increasingly uncomfortable with Scientology, and his acting away from Scientology was not good for his family in the way that, you know... Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very complicated, and he's very private, so, like, mm-hmm. well, anything you know, talk about this stuff, it's kind of like piecing together things that kind of come through, you know, either in interviews, but mostly in things that are kind of like just in the world. But I think like his relationship with Scientology is probably, to put it very mildly, very complex.
1: Yeah. Well, you mentioned his, you know, kind of industry savvy, like if someone like that, who knows how to maneuver himself and operate within, the press and the media knows that he can't be upfront about that kind of thing. So if he is, when he has a father who's a big-time Scientologist and marries into like one of the more famous Scientology families, but knowing that being that open about it is going to affect your career. And then also when you leave, knowing that if you badmouth Scientology, then they will attack you. Yeah. It puts him in a place where yeah. he has to. Like do a little dance to make sure he can preserve himself.
2: Yeah, they're like notoriously not someone you want to be on the others on the wrong side of.
1: Yeah, right. That's yeah. you know it, yeah. it, how do you how do you get? At, I mean, like he has been criticized from more outspoken former Scientologists, like you know Lee Remini, who called him a pussy because he was essentially afraid to say anything, trying to preserve himself, and that you know maybe. He, the things he could have said could have gone a long way given, you know, his status, but he chose not
0: to uh
2: Yeah, I mean it's, it's a pretty cowardly uh choice that he's made, but he also it's like one that I think many of us understand, like yeah, it's, it's self-preservation. Yeah you know?
0: and, and it's also probably hard to say like how much he just wants to be involved. I think there's mm-hmm. lots of things in life where like I just, just leave me out of it. I just yeah, you know, even if any connection you have to it, you just would like for it to not be, you know, especially because it's like how. Religious is he? It's very hard to say. Like, Mm -hmm. how much, how much investment did he ever have in this? Because it's something that he's kind of born into. So it's like it seems complicated and and weird. And but it's also this thing that that's always hanging over him. Because you're like, wait, that's a Scientologist.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so like it, like one most of the conversations will gravitate
0: towards that in one way or another.
1: Yeah, that's all we really need to say about Scientology. Scientology corner. Um, <laughs> <we move through laughs> yes. But his beginnings as a musician are interesting, you know, just being a part of I guess what is called the anti-folk movement and you can imagine given the work that came after it, but a lot of what he was doing in the beginning was kind of jokey and yeah. weird and you know, improvising lyrics as he's playing bluesy type songs on his acoustic guitar and jumping up on stage while bands are setting up at like a, a small venue. But somehow through all of that, it works and someone notices him and then the, and the career begins.
0: Yeah, and I think at that stage, you know, he's kind of a cute weirdo boy. And I think that's kind of enough. To a certain extent, I think if you kind of look at the bigger picture of his career through time, like a lot of artists, you kind of start off, you know, they're they're not particularly personal or they're they're not too deep. You know, you become less guarded through time. So, you know, he's now famous for like some records he's done where he's tremendously unguarded, this incredibly poignant and incredibly sad. So, you know, right. like he, he changes in that way. But I think there's always this part of him that wants to... Be private and kind of keep people at arm's length yeah, I think even in those more openly sad things that he's done and that, to me that's like one of the most interesting things about his body of work i've written about him a few times in the past and one of the things i always come back to is just like so much of what he's done seems to be you know kind of looking for like a identity or like how you know there's like something missing and trying to find a way to fill what's missing. Um, I think sometimes that's done in a kind of poignant way. And then sometimes it's done for pure comedy. Like my favorite of his records is Midnight Vultures. And I've always seen that as kind of like this record that's ultimately like you really boil it down is uh, a search for masculine identity and every single one of those identities is a farce.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's that's my favorite one as well. I have like a really strong connection to that album. And yeah, it, it doesn't have to be as good as it is too. It's doing more than it had to. And I think I really appreciate that. And it was like so unexpected at the time that it came out, just like from what we knew about Beck, we didn't expect this like funk record, like yeah. a truly funky funk record to come out from Beck. That just like was such a left turn.
0: Because there's like things like that that's on Odile, but he just ups the ante so much on that record. It goes above and beyond. So I think what you have on Odelay, it's a lot of music that's kind of in quotations, but I think in Midnight Volters, it's actually harder to tell. Like obviously, a lot of the music is done with humor but i think the musical part of it is no joke it's just like yeah it's like just
2: truly funky it like you know (laughs) the funk is real the funk is real they are not faking the funk the funk is real
1: um well you know we're we're already starting to talk about albums and we've hyped that i have these categories so i will acknowledge that the rock and roll hall of fame does not have any criteria for induction so it, it leaves us guessing who could and might get in But since I'm a big old nerd, I have reverse engineered some categories that I think if you do well in them, you have a good shot at induction. So let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll see how Beck stacks up in the categories. We'll be right back. (music) Welcome back to the show, everybody. We hope you had a nice little break. We hope over your break, you rolled and whatever that means you rolled ooh, along all rolling on molly now <laughs> rolling on molly is acceptable mm-hmm. uh whatever it is you did
2: you might notice something different about us in the second half <laughs> yeah. of so uh, i will certainly be sweating and chewing on gum uh mm-hmm.
1: yeah see if you can see if you can detect it i just had to i just had the crack open some water ooh damn ooh interpret that as you will uh beck became eligible for the rock and roll hall of fame in 2019 Uh, His first released recordings were in 1993. Golden Feelings, which is technically his first album, although it was a very limited run, it was 93, as was the initial release of Loser. So Beck has been eligible. This would be his fourth year of eligibility, making the bout for the first time this year. And his connections to the Rock Hall, he performed Satellite of Love for Lou Reed's induction in 2015.
3: Satellite of Love He has shown
1: up. He has played the game a little bit. Let's go to our first category, iconic slash recognizable songs. And we've alluded to it already, but the big one that everybody knows that will get played on Jack FM, Loser.
3: You know that's, that's, the,
0: that's the biggest one for sure and then by, i think i think that's like it becomes interesting trying to decide like what is the second biggest because he has yeah. a lot of songs that could qualify as second biggest that's
1: yeah I'm that's like, true is it
2: where it's at i mean i don't know
0: so you know what i think actually might
1: behoove us is to go through this chronologically because i it's like there's the top tier with loser obviously and then in terms of recognizability I mean, you could make an argument that it is diminishing returns from there, but instead of kind of jumping around, I think we could go chronologically, because there are a lot in that, in those kind of second and third tiers, whether or not you listen to a lot of alt rock
0: radio yeah. in the 90s. I would actually argue that his, his body of work has this kind of like peaks and valleys. So, mm-hmm. like, he'll just kind of gain relevance. You know, so he'll have a couple records that, that, you know, don't like go over huge, but it's fairly steady, but also like the peaks kind of come in like weird distribution. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a lot of artists where it's like, you know, they peak very early or like the, all, all the stuff that's important. It's within like three or four years. I don't think is the case for him.
1: No, I don't think so either. But Loser went to number 10 on the charts. That was the highest, Boom. highest position. Went gold, has been on the Rolling Stone list of the, of the greatest songs. The, the other thing about Loser is you know, that it truly was a surprise to everyone, including Beck.
0: It's a a very zeitgeisty song, because it's kind of like, that was at the era of, like, Slacker, and that was kind of, like, the Slacker song. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's a Gen X anthem.
1: Exactly. And he was,
2: like, very, yeah, and he was very much, like, yeah, he he looked like the totem for... Gen X at that time, you know, that like yeah. he was the avatar for Slacker. <laughs> yeah. Just kind of in that music video, you know, the way he was dressed, his haircut, things like that.
1: Yeah, the whole aesthetic. The uh, whole aesthetic. Uh, a real quirked up white boy.
2: <laughs> yep. First of many, ruining something my he, life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but that was something he wanted to break out of. And it's quite a task to be able to do that because it's a kind of a death sentence if your first big single is kind of a novelty record how do you then subvert everyone's expectations but with odale he he really did come around and like you said i think where it's at is yeah that's potentially a candidate for number two
3: I, yeah.
2: I think devil's haircut as well
0: you think about like what is the song for him it's loser what is the album for him it's odale Odalay yes, yeah. like that's the classic you know, like he i think he has other records that people would, would consider like pretty big or classic but that's the one that's
2: well and i also think if you know beck that's what you think he sounds like
0: mm-hmm. yeah which is i think accurate because that record is like varied enough that it covers a lot of the bases for him
2: yeah definitely
1: devil's haircut i, I want to point out you know the riff in the beginning and throughout <laughs> is a derivation of Rock Hall inductee Van Morrison when he was with them, is a song called I Can Only Give You Everything.
2: I can
1: give you it's not a sample, but it is the same riff. And what is interesting to me is they went back to that album within Odalé and the riff with like the kind of chimes in the song jackass
3: I've been drifting along in the same stale
1: shape. is also a song by them a cover of bob dylan's it's all over now baby blue
3: highway is for gamblers, better use your
1: for two really huge hooks from the same album to be coming from one other album and not like a, you know, this is not, this is just an album from the band them. It's like not necessarily a classic album or one that people think about classic
0: crate digging
1: for sure. I just, I always thought that was interesting that they had, two prominent samples slash riffs from them again.
0: And and that Devil's Haircut riff is I think is probably one of the more like musically recognizable things Mm -hmm. in his career too. It's like one of the things where it it would be up there as far as like if you're just kind of like to do a musical signification of him or like do a drop or something. That'd be (laughs)
2: Well, and that's like the needle drop in a trailer, you know, like you can put that in. It evokes immediately when it starts, yeah.
1: And then the new Pollution, that was another one that just got played a lot.
2: And also all of these had music videos that were just like MTV was really playing music videos at this time, yeah. constantly played music videos that, you know, had concepts and were fun and kind of silly. And, you know, I think that also it makes a lot of these songs more palatable because they're like eclectic songs. They have hooks and everything, but they also just like switch tempo <laughs> and yeah, have mm-hmm. like you know breaks in them and, and things weird like that. Samples yeah. and I weird think, samples. I think there's something
0: you, you were getting at before, Kristen. That's kind of like Odelay. Is, is definitely a major zeitgeist record for that kind of like 96, 97 moment where turntablism is the word that's getting thrown around and samples are kind of starting to become ubiquitous outside of this like straight up rap. It's kind of a, a kind of a crossroads record, but it's also like so much of that moment when you think about that kind of like mid to late nineties energy. And you know, then you just go through years where like, you know, you get like these kind of drum loops and things like there's also these little bits and pieces that maybe that's directly from this record I think sometimes it's more, Directly aligned with like trip hop or something like that. But it's just kind of a change in production vibe. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is a record that really stood for like a whole category of music. There's definitely a lot of like far less famous things that fit comfortably around it, like Cornelius, that's a few years later. Stereo Lab is not too many mm-hmm. degrees away from this. And obviously, like, you know, it's not too far off from pavement either. So that was sort of like the friendly face, an easy entry point into this whole other realm of things that was happening in that moment.
2: He made interesting music for the mainstream. Yes, you exactly. Know, it's like he's somebody easily who, digestible. Yeah, he's digestible. Somebody who might not think that they would be that into something so quote unquote quirky or whatever, could yeah. still get into a Beck album. And I mean, you know, you saying that odalay and Paul's Boutique were both produced by the Dust Brothers, like it makes so much sense. I didn't realize that. And I, that, I'm like a big fan of both of those albums and it really makes sense. But it's almost like we were weren't ready for paul's boutique but the radio was very ready and mtv was yeah. very ready for oh, y- you
0: and also the dust brothers did like a year maybe same year actually is Mbop. Oh, yeah. So, oh so there's like a direct wow. line from Beck to like the teeny bop stuff at that point too. So, Well, Beck is a Hanson. Beck's exactly. is kind of like the center of something that's happening. I mean, the, the boys in Hanson look like they're just kind of like Beck's sons. Yeah, just, well, and as like Jill cute, just, cute. Cute. just He's this, this very particular kind of like cute white boy. Same last name. Oh my God, yes. They're, 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 okay, <laughs> let's go. just say that. They're literally
1: <laughs> his sons.
0: They were, yeah. like, they're were. Like, they like clones.
1: It's decreed. And, and then we talked about Midnight Vultures. There's some songs off of there that I, I think are recognized. She mutations yeah
2: i'm like straight <laughs> yeah. up skipping Skip mutations, mutations which i was actually i'm like opening it up i'm like what was on mutations i guess the only song that i think ever even broke out was tropicalia Are you wouldn't
3: know what to say to yourself love is a poverty you couldn't tell misery waits in a big
0: that's a record for the heads. I mean, that's also kind of a thing that Beck does is he kind of goes up record, down record, up record, down well, record.
1: Like we talked about with the, the deal with Geffen, Mutations was supposed to be one of yeah. those records that was released. This was going to be released on Bongload Records. It was not supposed to be one of the Geffen releases, but <laughs> right. Geffen heard it and they were like, they were we like, they were like
2: Bongload can't have this. Right.
0: <laughs> and he made that record. That's the first of, I think, three records he made with Nigel Godrich, who's like more Famously, the radio head producer, but this is like the year after OK Computer hits. They're so like, "Oh no, no, we paid for Nigel Godrich. This record's coming yeah. out on DGC, baby."
1: Yeah, and it, it, a lawsuit then ensued because that was not the deal, and, and Beck was not thrilled with them making that call for him.
0: But I think that kind of changes things because almost everything kind of comes out through DGC from that. Oh point yeah, that over. it's
1: it stops that the idea that he would release a small independent label albums just stopped happening. It, yeah, it pretty much from there on too big was... for
2: bong load okay? <laughs> <It's too> big.
0: <laughs> but yeah but i think from there on like he, like he doesn't really abandon that method it just becomes like it's all going out because it's he's, it too, in, he's yeah. too big for it like the whole idea I, I think at that point in time it really suited him the first few records he did but at the, by that point like vex a mainstream artist and it just didn't make sense to make the records harder to get yeah
2: well and now i'm looking at midnight vultures and i'm like okay to me this is just 11 tracks that are like all recognizable <laughs> Songs. I maybe listened to this album too too many times, but it was
0: kind of a flop.
2: I know. Yeah, but but but
0: but Midnight Vultures has become like such a beloved record through time, and it's not like it flopped out entirely, but it's like it's it didn't really blow up in the way it didn't hit. It's like
2: people weren't wanting what he was giving them at that point. I think Midnight Vultures connected. I would say to certain people who were looking for almost like indie party music, like it was before there was indie dance music in that. That regard as far as I knew, like it was kind of like the latigra, like indie party music. I think was just becoming a thing, and I think this was just a, like a little step before the right people. Found it Or like yeah. We're
0: ready to hear it That La that, that record that's, that's actually A really good connection I don't think I, I've ever really Thought about But yeah Because the, there is this, There's a certain Amount of connection Between those that, That's the same year They're both 1999 Yeah I
2: think that's 99 Yeah
0: They're kind of Pitched for different audiences Like this is meant To be like a mainstream record I, I do mm-hmm. think that The record may have done better If they'd come out the gate With just like A really funny or the top video For Deborah, But he really Backed away from that The fact that, that Debra
2: by... Isn't the most known Of his songs It like It hurts it's my feelings to me oh, Is my number one favorite I love song.
0: Deborah is one of my favorite karaoke songs.
2: I've done it as a drag performance before too, oh, which is very wow. funny. But the audience doesn't know it, so if they don't know it, they think that you just like found this joke song. You know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah, it, it's and, a real and set because, and setting song. Exactly, it's a very set and setting song where it's like I was like he's just saying nonsense, Zenku chicken, whatever that is. It's like <laughs> now I t- I'm like Glendale. I mean, all of the references <laughs> in Deborah like hit so different the. The minute I entered a Los Angeles zip code, I was like, oh, I understand. I know oh, Deborah right
0: now. The, the, the first time I was in LA, I was basically doing uh, like a Beck tourism thing. So yeah. like, oh, yeah, right you enough, can hit just, up the hotspots. So,
2: yeah. Although you, you might not be able to find a JCPenney anymore, but like you could like <laughs> no, I, mean, I grew up with
0: <laughs> Penney's, so yeah.
2: That song to me, I, I mean, it's like a Prince song. You hear it and Absolutely. you're like, oh, this is a Prince song that I'm listening I think
0: played. he was terrified of that song becoming a big hit and that's why yeah. it did, did not become a single. Yeah, it was not but, really but to single. this day It's definitely one of the most Beloved Beck songs You know I think he he has a complicated Relationship with that song But he knows well, How much like people love it Well it was like
2: he probably knew He probably knew What he had on his hands When he wrote well, it well, That
0: song was like, the, like It was like a big part Of the Odellay tour So like mm-hmm. every All those odalay shows Like I mean there's A lot of amazing footage Of him doing Deborah in that era Any footage from like That era Like the Odelay, uh Midnight Vultures era like, He is such an Incredible showman Like he has become Less of a showman over the years, I think largely because he had an injury that just made it much harder for him to dance. So
2: I will say I was supposed to see him live in what year, it must've been 2003. It was supposed to be a two-day festival and then it kept getting condensed. It got condensed to one day. It was supposed to be two days of camping and it was one day at um, Giant Stadium in oh, New God, Jersey. Oh that's a legendary yeah, failure. And it was that's, oh it, my God, you were there. I was there and it was, the headliners were- Beastie Boys, Beck, and Radiohead. And it was basically like the Beastie Boys were absolutely, they're one of my favorite bands and they were terrible. They like couldn't keep it together. They kept having to stop songs and like start over. It was like really bad. So they finished. And again, I'm like, okay, well, we still got Beck and Radiohead to come out. They took like 25 minutes, 30. It took like almost an hour to reset the stage for Beck. I mean, it's giant. There's huge lights out there and everything. It had been raining all day long. (sighs) Literally as Beck is about, to take the stage, he slipped and fell backstage.
0: Wait, that's it. That that's when it happened.
2: What? So that's the that that is the that day that his the day it happened. Yeah. in two thousand three. So oh, no. I was there, and again, we had been in the rain all day long in this freaking stadium, and then we're like waiting. You, the big his name's out in lights. We're like, yes, back. And then they come out and make an announcement. We're so sorry. He's been injured. We we're taking him to the hospital. They start taking down the things. They have to take another oh, forty minutes. To Set up for the Radiohead set, and then Radiohead played for two and a half hours, and it was incredible.
0: Good for them. It
2: was like the the most God, redeeming- that
0: is like that's Field Day. It's like a legendary yeah, cursed day. Yeah. festival, yeah, field and like day. They, they they had to do like a lot of there's like it was kind of like one of those things where it's like music festivals weren't really that much of a thing in America around that point. So it wasn't as like professionalized and like people just knew the, the general logistics of it. So this is one of those things where everything that could go wrong went wrong. Yeah. Well, getting back to
1: midnight vultures, I never really listened to midnight vultures. So I know the songs that were played on the radio, which Deborah wasn't, I had to learn about Deborah from Friends who are like, this song is like the best. And that's how I found it. And it is a Prince prestige. But the time I found it, I was like, oh, this sounds like a song Flight of the Concords would do. Yeah,
2: it does. Yeah, it's like a much. joke. It's so it's funny. A
1: comedy song. Yeah. But the two, really, the, the two songs that, from my perspective, were played on the radio that I knew well the opening track, I want to find the logic of
3: Sex Laws.
1: And then the other one is Mixed Business.
2: Which basically sounds like the same song two different ways if, <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean they like fit. and it's a good it's a good groovy ass song you know but it's the same song that album it's a it's a banger if you don't know it listen to it front to back and then listen all the way through it's clear he made deborah the song that had like the stupid hidden track on it so that it wouldn't be like you can't just play deborah Pluck you can't it. put yeah. it on a playlist back when you were trying to like or put it on a cd because yeah. it's freaking 12 minutes and six of those are silence
1: after
0: midnight vultures it was uh a departure, a sea change, you might say. Oh, yeah. uh, drastic departure, drastic departure. And sea change was like very beloved when it came out. And it's like, his it a big breakup record. It's, you know, very vulnerable, very acoustic and sad. And I think I will always kind of have a chip on my shoulder by that record, not because I dislike it, but because people who backlashed hard on Midnight Vultures would dismiss Midnight Vultures, but lift up sea change. And I think as a person, I am a Midnight Vulture. Person. Mm-hmm. It always felt weirdly personal. And I would
1: say on that album, Lost Cause is probably the song. If anybody mm-hmm. knows a, yeah, that,
0: that's a huge one.
3: Baby
0: Love. It's one of those songs that kind of pops up in places. It's probably been on a billion breakup CDs. Yeah. And playlists. <laughs> That's a record where any of those songs would work. But that one in particular, I think the sentiment, like, you know, maybe I'm a lost cause, you know, it's a real pouring a hole like Morton's. Like, well, and it's on your like wound.
2: a breakup album. I mean, it's just solidly. It's like an Adele album. You know what I mean? Like, it's like yeah. about one thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, very much and I don't like my music to be that sad
1: Um, (laughs) so that was
2: really hard for me I was not into Sea Change. I mean
1: Chris then after Sea Change he he hooks back up with the Dust Brothers for Guero. Well and there's
2: these you know peaks and valleys that we're talking about it's like a pendulum swing of yeah of just Mm -hmm. you know a kind of like more mellow album if you Mm -hmm. will and then a more higher energy Right
1: so with with Guero from my perspective the, the two songs that were played on the radio a lot and the ones I I still think you you will hear Epro sometimes. Oh yeah, you Epro's know. huge. It's got like an irresistible riff up top. It's one of Beck's I think rockiest songs. And then "Girl"
0: was also played quite a bit. <laughs> I don't know if you heard that much anymore, but... And, and Girl was also like a prominently used in like TV. I think it was very prominent in the OC at some point. I think it's in a Nissan Rogue
1: commercial.
2: Gotta be the odds. We're talking OC, we're talking yeah. Nissan Rogue.
0: <laughs> I, I always think of E-Pro as kind of being like crossbreeding uh, Devil's Haircut and Loser.
2: Mm-hmm. But it, yeah, but yeah, you can but hear
0: that. It, But it has a couple other weird dimensions to it. That's And that song's really good live. But yeah, that that's definitely one of the big signature songs for him and Girl. I also feel like, this, like there's a couple like Good sad songs in that one, but I feel like those Pass. songs have a, little bit more, <laughs> yeah, have a little bit more dimension than the sea change songs, like musically. So yeah. you know, yeah. And then, so the the information
1: is the album after that. I don't know that many of those songs are still hovering
0: around. I'd say, think I'm in love. Coming. That record's really, really like good, but that, That's a, that record's like a real for the heads record.
1: Yeah, and you know, it, it, I think it was recorded around the same time as Guero. Guero was Dust Brothers. The yeah. information was Nigel Godrich. So you, you got kind of both of the the main Beck producers. Um, and then you know he kind of goes away. I mean, I don't think there's really anything on Modern Guilt that anybody would know, and so you don't get information in two thousand six. Morning phase isn't until 2014. And, you know, and that's the surprise best album at the grammy's winner that
0: is sea changes part two i think that kind of speaks to what we were saying before like he's a person that the record industry likes Mm -hmm. i think he's a very respected Mm -hmm. person and i think what happened with beck and morning phase because that's the first record he released in several years he was just kind of doing lots of projects and he did lots lots of like you know just i'm gonna cover a whole album with a whole bunch of other musicians little projects like that that was the first album he had done he like produced other people's records uh, he produced one of Stephen Malkmus's records. I think he also does uh, Thurston Morris. So like these three floppy-haired icons of the mm-hmm. '90s. <laughs> um, you also get Song Reader in that. Yes, yeah, Song time, Reader, like which is interesting. Yeah, it's like
1: sheet music instead of an album. The idea being that artists could then interpret it however they they wanted. Yeah, which is a good idea. I don't think it ever really bore too much interesting fruit.
0: But, but what, what I was getting at is, I think what happened to him is the same thing that happened to his, uh, Steely Dan uh, when they reunited made a record, they basically were, were cashing in a lot of uh, like, oh, well, they're great. They've always been great. And there's like, a lot of music industry people, a lot of, you know, with the Steely Dan, you get a whole like block of session musicians and jazz people mm-hmm. and R&D guys. I think Beck basically had that situation where it's like, these are basically lifetime achievement awards. And I promise you that Beyonce will eventually get that and it'll be for a record that people are like, oh, that's not really a great Beyonce record. Almost certainly that's what's going to happen. A lot of these awards are like that, where it's like, Says he got his uh, oscar departed uh, mm-hmm. yeah which is like yeah okay yeah that you is know, how it I'm works sure, i'm sure paul thomas anderson's gonna get it for some late period thing that's gonna be like his like eighth best movie
1: i would say that's a, a point in the rock hall's favor is that even if the accolades come late it's still a lifetime achievement award it doesn't have to be attached to whatever they released recently And you don't need a recent release to acknowledge the artist because you can you know if you missed them, you can still catch up with them and and give them the accolades. I would say if there's a song on Morning Phase that people know it would be Blue Moon.
0: Yeah, which is probably not too well. I'm like, this is where I just am absolutely
2: lost. Like, I I mean, I clearly have love for Beck and care for him deeply Mm -hmm. uh, as a musician, but am I familiar with anything that he put out in the teens and beyond? No.
1: Well, I mean, what comes after this is like a pretty big pop turn. And I think the songs from Colors... Oh, I
2: remember the song, Wow. Right. Yeah, that was a good
0: one. Up All Night is a huge hit. And
1: Dreams is, I think, a song maybe that you hear the most out of all of those.
0: With Greg Kirsten, who's a big like producer, who's like if you look at his body of work, like oh my god, that guy's worked with everybody. I, you know, I think like he wanted to make a big pop album, and it worked. Yeah, and, like the you know, I think he kind of hit at exactly the right point where a lot of these songs could be big hits he was releasing these singles it was a little bit of like when's this album going to come
1: out because dreams was 2015 and wow was 2016 and then the album eventually came out in 2017
0: i feel like colors is like the best of this whole lane of music through that era it's kind of like Beck having a, le- a level of sophistication that he could kind of aim for this general target, but bring in, well, one, some of the quirks that he has, but also, you know, just make it a little bit more musically exciting than some of the now
1: other Now you're making are. me
2: want to listen to some late stage Beck. I have yeah. not really gotten into it at all.
0: Yeah, he continues to experiment. If you like the up-tempo Beck, it's like definitely in that zone, whereas like morning phase is definitely sea change too.
2: They're just stopping being a way for like Beck to get to me. I guess KCRW could have brought him to me, but like, uh you Absolutely
0: know. KCRW music. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: It's
2: like, that feels like some KCRWS stuff right there.
1: Yeah. some You're left of the dial stations. We're still playing some of this music.
0: I think the thing with colors though, is that unless you're kind of in any way like connected to that stuff, like it's very easy to not realize that Beck had really big hits on that record. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, I think there's a whole portion of his audience who would be like really into that that stuff, but wouldn't, might, might not even really be super familiar with stuff before that. So, I mean, I think that kind of closes out the songs
1: category and we've done a pretty good job of folding in the next category, classic albums. We've more or less gone through the the discography. Like we said, there's the album After Colors, which is Hyperspace, which is essentially a Pharrell collaboration.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that's another, that's an important thing because like Pharrell, I think is another, he's a huge, huge Beck guy. He's mm-hmm. like, have you ever heard him talk about like he's like a humongous Beck fan? He like holds Beck in this incredibly high regard, which makes a lot of sense given Pharrell's taste and everything. Mm-hmm. But I think Pharrell is kind of a microcosm for like probably a lot of people who aren't maybe even like people you consider to be like rock or indie people because so I think Beck kind of reaches a lot of weird pockets of people and I think that's probably one of the arguments here for the rock hall not just in terms of the music industry but I think Beck's an artist who uh, has a wider range of appeal than other people who would be almost like directly analogous to him
1: and you know if we want to think about the Rolling Stones set and what they think of Beck I will pose the question to you guys when we're talking about classic albums do you think any of the albums that Beck released made it on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums list? Odalé did, right?
2: I think Odalé has got to be on there for sure. I'd be like so shocked if it wasn't. But Mm -hmm. I also could see them trying to be like even more esoteric and being like, you know what? It's actually mellow gold if you really think about it. Um, (laughs) You know, or like doing some shit like that or being like, oh, well, you know, which one won the Grammy? You know, like, but I would think Odalé at least.
1: Mm -hmm. It's funny you mentioned Grammy. Odelay was nominated for a Best Album Grammy, as was Midnight Vultures. And I'm not talking about like rock album, like Best yeah. Album, album with the, of the Album year. of the Year, which is you know. So he has always
0: been right. Steely beloved. Dan was one of the things that beat back for that there.
2: Oh, wow. But
1: yeah, a- a- anything beyond Odalay. Odalay seems like the obvious pick. Do you think there was ever potentially another one?
2: Baby Sea Change? I mean, I want to believe it's Midnight Vultures.
1: Midnight Vultures.
2: I want to believe this was a time when culture was way more monolithic and less niche. And it was very possible for the things that were on MTV and on the radio to mean something to everyone, not just to the people who mm-hmm. cared or whatever. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, I definitely think Odalay And I'm going to give a, I hope so, to Midnight Vultures. All
1: right. So obviously, Odelay has made every iteration of the list. Mm -hmm. Where do you think it fell on the list? I think it's in the 400s or something. I don't
2: know, 210?
1: So it's it's on the original list, 03 at 305. And then for the 2020 Redux, it fell to 424.
2: Mm.
0: So I voted in that one. Oh, I, the, la- the last two big ones they did, I voted in those. And I absolutely voted for Odile. When I vote in those things, but especially the Rolling Stone one, because I, I have a sense of who the voting body is, mm-hmm. my whole strategy is I am voting for Gen X. <laughs> yeah, you have to. Because, because they're the people who are going to get screwed by the monolithic voting blocks of the boomers and, and the millennials.
2: They're the sandwich generation.
0: I think there's only like a handful of non-Gen X stuff I voted for in those things. And I'm, I'm also like voting for ones I think I will vote for. So hence, mm-hmm. I like Midnight Vulture is better, but I'm voting for all yeah.
1: Right, yeah, strategic. So. Sea Change has also been on the list. It was on the original list at 440, but is not on the on the 2020 redux. Yeah, I think
0: that one's fallen out of favor a lot. Yeah, And Midnight Vultures is kind of like ascended.
2: We love to see it.
0: And maybe on the next, we're on the winning, next version. We're, we're the voice of the future. We
1: Let's always do. Let's make this
2: happen. But
1: yeah, the, I mean, the, the album output, there's a lot there that people really love. And, you know, we just talked about the Rolling Stone list, so we can use that to transition to the next category. Critical, Acclaim. I think Beck is one of the most like critically adored Artists potentially of all time, uh, yeah. Because you know,
0: because even records that are, aren't really like the big ones for him, like he doesn't have any record that's kind of like slammed. He doesn't have no. any record that anyone's turned on him. There's just some records that people like more than others. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right. I think the consistency of positive uh, vibes from critics has been pretty much consistent for you know the entirety of his career. And you know he
1: was spins artist of the year in 1996. He won best solo artist at the NME awards in 97. 98 and 2000. That's the cooler arm of the critic community. You know, we've been doing this recently and I think we, we got to do it every time. We got to check in with what Robert Christgau has to say, you know, self-described Dean of Rock Critics. He, you know, he, he's given a lot of high grades to Beck. And I, I pulled this quote, proving how cool you are by making an album that sounds like shit is easy. Proving how cool you are by making an album that comes this close to sounding like shit is damn hard unless you're damn talented. And <laughs> that was a review of Mellow Gold, of all that. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Which, he that gave, is, yeah. which
0: he gave an A. I had no memory whether he likes him or not, but I guess it makes sense that he would, especially for the 90s. He, I think he always wished that more of the indie rock people had a bit more, I guess, frankly, it's a black influence, which Beck did. So yeah, Beck was basically the, the, the student he wanted.
1: I, d- I don't think there's much else to say, just like critical love runs deep when it comes to Beck. But let's go to the other side of the equation and talk about commercial success. One of the few artists that does well in both. It, it's not like a seesaw here. You know, if we look at his albums, you know, Mellow Gold went platinum, Odelay went two times platinum, Mutations, which was for the heads, as we said, but it went mm-hmm. gold. And Midnight Vultures went gold. And Sea Change went gold. And Guerra went gold. And the inf-
0: Information went gold. It's like not like mega hits, but a solid following. Yeah. I feel like if you can sell gold every time, then that's probably one of the best case scenarios for a career of music. Just that, that kind of stability.
1: Yeah, yeah. I know we did Dolly Parton last week and you know she's at 100 million records which i don't believe beck is uh, close to that but you know he has <laughs> sold he has sold well at getting that gold certification consistently especially for someone like we've said who is weird who is you know makes music that could be challenging to the mainstream that is certainly
0: a point in his favor. It feels like music that would be pretty easy to play for kids. Um, at least some of those records, mm-hmm. like it seems like a, like a like a record that like a parents could play. Like you know, Gen X. Sweetie, parents this can song play for is kids.
2: called "Sex Laws." Yeah, no, but it is you no. Know, he's being sexy and sexual in enough of a winking kind of poppy way. Yeah, and yeah, you're, there's not going to be like any objectionable, especially for like a Gen X parent. Yeah, to like, I think play I'm like to you
0: right. could play for. Like "Ode is pretty um. Un- un- objectionable record.
2: Now what's happening, honey, is he's going through a breakup. Okay. So these <laughs> songs are a little sad. You know,
0: it's like, you know, it's like Mitski. It's like Mitski. Yeah.
2: <laughs> we love Mitski, right, sweetie? Now turn off the turntable. Yeah. Children really do know how to flip records again. <laughs> um.
1: yeah. yeah. I mean, wild. Let's go to the next category, which is influence. There's some things to talk about here. I wanted to talk about like the very immediate influence, almost the Beck ripoffs, which I, I think is an interesting category. You know, that's not necessarily the shining examples of influence that you want, but you know, there there's some songs that I think are worth pointing out, like the song Better Days by Citizen King. I've
3: seen better days, I've been I've seen better days. Oh
2: wow. And then the bottom drops out. Yeah. The song, wow, a major radio hit. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and that song to me really feels like they're trying to do some Beck stuff here. Like doing when the bottom drops out, but doing it into like an old phone. You know, like yeah. trying to get that lo-fi thing with record scratches and like the rapping style. It feels like a very
0: similar thing. Yeah, I feel like there's this little, uh, he's uh, like a lot of white rappers for sure are going for Beck's lane. Something like, like, like the Eels. Yes, I, think I have Eels of of Like a, like a post yeah. Beck thing. Life is hard. And so am I. Like, I, I don't know if the Eels necessarily has the career without Beck. When you first said, like, uh, like Beck ripoffs, the, the thing that first came to mind was a very, actually, very obscure thing. It's one of those things that was kind of like direct to dollar bin, but it was on DGC, the same label, this group called Saint Johnny, and they have a song called Scuba Diving.
3: Johnny.
0: Which is very good, but it's like most, it's just a flagrant Beck ripoff. It is Uh just unbelievable. You could play it for someone and they would just think that it was Beck. We we
1: had talked to Kristen when, because we recently, you know, the new class of eligibility is 1996 this year. So we were listening to some artists from that year. And, you know, there's so many artists, they do the thing where the beginning of the song is the needle dropping on the record, which Mm -hmm. I do think that comes from Beck. You know, that's how Where It's At starts. Um, yeah. And, you know, there, there's a few examples of that. I think about the song Your Woman by Whitetown.
2: Oh, my gosh.
1: It's kind of like Rip Pop and Beck at the same yeah. time. Uh-huh. And something I never thought about, but now that I hear it, it makes sense. It's not so much an influence as it is a parody. Is that the song Pepper by Butthole Surfers was making fun of Loser.
3: Marky got with Sharon. and Sharon got Cherie on the topic of disease Mikey had a facial scar and Bobby was a red Yes, the butthole yeah. surfers
2: was going to be. they absolutely.
0: The- this is like probably the only possible way we could get a hit is by doing a fake back song. If I'm making mm-hmm. fun of him, yeah.
2: By making fun of him, well, and like they did it, and they got their their biggest one hit. hit. It's very for funny. For a band called Butthole Surfers, they went as far as they could go. <laughs>
0: and for a song, or like like they were like they say the word rapist at least twice. Yeah. It's a, the what The nineties were a wild
1: time. What a time. And you know, some this isn't exactly influence, but it it, it kind of shows the appreciation from the artists that came before him but Johnny Cash liked Beck and covered a song called Robo which was you know an, an obscure album Robo, cut roll me to the show and Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers covered She'll asshole. Do
2: anything to make you feel like
1: an ass which again, relatively obscure album cut
0: yeah those are from those like non mellow gold indie records both of those Mm -hmm.
1: but in terms of like just beck's influence now not immediate novelty extending a little bit further what do we
0: think that's hard to say
2: i think indie dance music in particular owes something to that i don't necessarily know meaning like the artistry or like a a direct line, but I just think he opened the door for like the mainstreaming of dance music that wasn't cheesy, that felt like it might mean something a little bit more.
1: And to that, I think just maybe the blending of genres, whether it's Mm -hmm. dance and indie or it's you know hip hop and rock and country and folk or whatever it is, his ability to do that and be successful with it, I think had some ripple effects on you know what we have now, which is
0: almost like a post-genre landscape of music. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My feeling is that Beck probably doesn't have a lot of direct musical influence on a lot of artists who are working right now, but I think that will probably change. I would predict that at some point we've met Seely Dan a few times, but Seely Dan and sort of out of nowhere became a thing that lots of people were suddenly very passionately interested in or like well outside of the demographic that people would have expected. And I can see that kind of happening for Beck at some point. His whole discography is ripe for a lot of people to be like, Oh my God, this guy's amazing. All of them, you know? Yeah. A new generation I think like, that
2: can grow up with it yeah when he becomes a tiktok sound yeah I, I think it's
0: just kind of one of those things where like it just takes like a certain few influential people for people to kind of get the ball rolling mm-hmm. so i would predict that this will eventually happen for him it seems pretty likely i think like unlike steely dan which is tremendously difficult to emulate beck is fairly easy to emulate in a lot of ways so I, I could see that becoming a more direct influence. I think Kristen is right that like he he was very crucial towards getting people in the early aughts to be a little more cool with like oh we we can dance we're allowed to dance. <laughs> we, well, we and also dance. like
2: take you know <laughs> grunge and like alternative music at the time took itself so. Seriously. And he
1: never, really and he did.
2: never, he came on the, th- on the scene being like, LOL. <laughs> I'm like, before we were even LOLing, he was out here making us LOL. I-, I think he came on with a tongue in cheek and kind of made it okay to be a little silly in indie rock music, which we didn't have that yet. We had like really people who were so fucking serious about yeah. what their music meant man you
0: know silly is so the right word like it's si- yeah. silly like is it because he's not goofy he's silly and mm-hmm. i've heard this kind of come up a few different ways but like it does seem like the cool version now is to be silly so maybe that yeah. is that was for different contexts where the word silly comes up in this kind of like no that's how you want to be you don't want to be like snarky or you don't want to be like the kind of dialogue we in a marvel movie you don't want that you want to be silly silly is a different energy I think maybe we're entering a silly era. And like, well, like in silly, siri- silly
2: is irreproachable. Like you cannot fight silly. You look like such an asshole mm-hmm. if something's silly and you're fighting against silly. Like there's nothing you can do in the face of silly. The best approach to co- almost anything is to just feel silly about it. Because what's like the opposite of that is like serious. So if someone tries to come at you with serious, it's like, everyone's like, whoa, man, just yeah, chill,
0: chill out. out. <laughs> I-, I, think there's, there, I think there's also an art in silliness like being wacky or goofy does not imply art at all. But no. silliness implies kind of like a nonsensical like a knowing.
2: And also it's like, thing. Yeah. yeah, You've got to know in order to be silly, you know, yeah. like you got to even know what you're being silly about. It's not nonsense. It's silly. I don't know, man. I guess I just had a diatribe. There what we go. What a theory,
1: what a spousing theories. The next category in, you know, we've talked about it. We, I think we've kind of covered it, but artistry slash skill. When you look at, Back, it's you know the things you think of artistic independence and constant experimentation infusing that with pop sensibilities too
0: yeah he's, he's at range he can cover a pretty good amount yeah. of range like even just like little random things he does like he did a cover of I only have eyes for you that is just gorgeous You're like okay that's, that's, that's something you can do as well have... for... very skillful yeah. artist Someone who, kind of endlessly curious like willing to try things he stands for a, a, i think a very particularly gen x eclecticism when i think of like who would be the most similar person in terms of body of work i would say it's probably damon albarn another person who you just would never have thought really in his career, oh, this will this guy will eventually be a credible hip-hop producer
2: well and also a guy who once again you know took something that was notably serious and made it a little silly you know yeah. i think blur had a lot That'd of silliness to it playfulness you know was kind of what sets them apart yeah from- and then
1: his next project was cartoons you know yeah <laughs> so- exactly it's like <laughs> In which you know there is a gorillas Beck collaboration called the valley of the pagans <laughs>
0: Also, like there are like plenty of times where Beck or David Auburn is just like deadly serious on record Mm -hmm. or or Mm -hmm. just like utterly heartbreaking on record. But
2: like, that's not what's interesting about them. Yeah, if you can can do that range,
0: it's just not common to, to, to kind of do both of those things very well.
1: All right. Final category, maybe the most important one. Does my mom know who they are? And yes, absolutely. Beck's famous. And sometimes that's all it takes with a, with a rock hall. But yeah, Becky's ubiquitous. The catalog is, is deep and long. At the very least, he has Loser, which is enough for some people to know who he is. But, you know, he's a mainstay at the Grammys, like one of the most mainstream yeah. network television. Yeah, he's all over the place. It's Beck. And, I, you know, I think I may have skipped Longevity, but, you know- Well, I
2: think we covered that when we went through all, yeah. went through
1: albums. all his albums. We went through all his albums. <laughs> yeah. but one thing I was thinking about is he came onto the scene in like 93 and Beck can still be a musical guest on Saturday Night Live. Like it wouldn't seem out of place. He's yeah. done it seven times, I think, which I think shows that, okay, this has been a guy where he has been relevant the entire time.
2: Well, and I think Matthew made a really good point earlier too, which is one of the most important or notable things about him is that the culture and the crowd has never turned on him. He's never had a flop. Mm -hmm. He's just had a bunch of albums. Some of them did better than others, but like everyone's got baseline pretty Good feelings about him you know whether you like him or not you're like oh beck yeah that guy like you know yeah like
0: i, I, like, I don't think anyone rare. even feels like he ever fell off in any serious mm-hmm. way yeah he I feel didn't like release he's like a, a person a who doesn't really album. inspire anger no yeah no absolutely no. not even if you don't really like beck he's a person that people respect yep and i think like especially when you're talking about like a like, like rock and roll hall of fame like respect is like at least half the game here
1: absolutely yeah. Absolutely. Well, and you
2: might go not for me, but I get it. Yeah.
1: Well, let's uh, let's do our verdict then. Should Beck be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Will he get in, and will it be this year? And. Kristen, let's start with you.
2: Oh boy. Okay. Well, I think he should, and I think he will. This episode has maybe convinced me that he might be knocking my girl, Pat Benatar out of the sixth slot, which, you know, absolute heartbreak. Uh, this is his first nomination. The other nineties artists on the ballot we've already said is Rage Against the Machine. Now, as history stands that means that Beck is getting, um, <laughs>
3: like, if we were like to use history as an example, if we yes. were to
2: use history as an example, that means things are looking good for Beck Hansen. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I definitely think he's going to get in, in the next like five years. I think he'll probably get in, in the next three. I think he's, uh, if he's on the ballot again, then he's getting in the next time he's on the ballot, whether it be next year or the year after. Um, but I think he's got a shot. Sure. I think it could be this year.
0: Matthew, what do you think? I could see him being a dark horse thing. I wouldn't mm-hmm. bet on it, but- but it wouldn't be like tremendously surprising for, I think a lot of the reasons we kind of went through, especially the fact that he's very loved by the industry. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think he should eventually get in. I think in a perfect world, I think there's a lot of like his immediate peers. I would put in ahead of him. I mean, I actually like wrote down a few, like, I mean, there's some of these where it's like, I have to assume that they're you know staggering these things so they can be for like future, like the smashing pumpkins feels like, why would, that not be in, but Green Day is? And I think the only answer you could really have for that is maybe a lot of people in the industry do not like Billy Corgan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's, that's that would probably it. be the main thing there. But otherwise, there's like no logical reason why this professional wouldn't be in this. Especially given a lot of their immediate peers are. Um, like Soundgarden feels weird, especially with how Chris Cornell passed away. And I think there's a lot of energy around that. And then, you know, so and then there's other a few like I think Allison Chains probably as well. But then also like closer to where Beck is, I think like Sonic Youth and Pixies make a lot of sense. And I, I could see I could certainly see the Pixies eventually getting in. The it just Pixies seems weird that's more haven't than
2: Sonic Youth, um, with regard to the Hall's uh, hipness level.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I think PJ Harvey, Tori Amos, Bjork, Hole. All those things should at least get nominated. It just feels weird to because those mm-hmm. are all totally eligible. But I think, you know, well, when and we're you've really coming pavement down pavement to it many
2: times, <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah, pavement. I, I mean, but the, all these artists are like more famous than pavement. So it's like, you know, but yeah, I think pavement's another one where like I, I have to imagine that over time they're going to get these 90s acts in. But I think the one thing I would say to the hall is like, listen, the mortality rate on Gen X artists is very bad. Yeah. So if you want these people to show up, you better. Start acting now because you've already missed the boat on Soundgarden, Allison Chains, and yeah. I don't know if you want Courtney Love to show up. Maybe
1: work on that now. It's it's that versus the you know the the many people who are in their seventies on the ballot right now that you know for reasons yeah. of just their of their age. Yeah,
0: but the boomers get the serum. They get the serum and can, but they generally stay alive a very long time. It's true.
1: For my verdict, it's like I think Beck does very well in all of my categories. And I just think he is the type of artist that is very appealing to the hall in that he's an experimenter, his music is challenging, but he does it without compromise and manages to be successful while doing it.
0: Yeah, you really tell a good story with Beck. But I don't know that it's
1: going to be this year just because I think it's competitive. I think it is jockeying for that sixth slot. I definitely think it could happen, kind of echoing what has been said already. I think it's going to be easy for someone who is voting to look at this ballot and to say that Beck can wait. Now, should they have yeah. also said that for the Foo Fighters the last Foo year? Fighters, maybe. Yeah, you know, and they could have said that too. Whether it's Foo Fighters or Green Day or
0: whoever that got in relatively quickly but
2: I guess they don't really
1: look
0: at Beck as a ratings guy whereas like Eminem that's a ratings guy Uh, you know Foo Fighters that's a ratings band yeah but critically beloved I mean I think Rage Against the Machine is probably a better argument we'll tune in for that that's a bigger band
2: I would love that I mean personally I actually would like Rage to get in over Beck this year just because they've been on the ballot so many times and I like them and I think it would be really exciting and fun to see them and I like Beck more than Rage, but I would actually like Rage to get in.
1: Rage is always sitting just out, in my opinion, and the way I, I kind of evaluated, they're always sitting just outside of the ballot. Like, I never think they're at the bottom. I think they're always getting close. And you know, it's,
2: it's got to be how many times have they been nominated? Yeah, this, is, this
1: yeah. is the fourth one. They wouldn't keep putting them on the ballot if they were. I think this pool rage is an extremely good shot. I mean, we have a lot of solo artists on this ballot. You know, Rage is hard. Without being like technically heavy metal, which you know could satisfy stuff for for certain. Yeah, I, I, I have know? a
0: question. So it feels like there's a real consensus that Duran Duran is almost certainly getting in. But this, this is the first time they've been nominated. This right? is the first time they've been yeah. on the
1: ballot. And you know, I would say they're not as solid as you might think, but I I would probably guess that they're getting in. But you know, I I don't think yeah. they're as sure as say Dolly or or Eminem. I would actually say I think Carly and, and Lionel have a better shot than. Duran Duran, because I think there's still some people out just there. Duran Duran is a joke, or they think they're just pretty boys and stuff. And I think that could hurt them.
0: Didn't hurt Bon Jovi. Duran Duran also just feels like it's like completing a set with some things they've done more recently. You yes,
1: know? that's very true. They've, they've been out there putting music out that is well received. And, you know, this is kind of a, a victory lap.
0: Though. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Duran Duran deserves it. I don't really like love Duran Duran, but it feels like. The, yeah, it'll the, be fun. I, I feel like there's a key, they're like a key part of the puzzle for the 80s, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, why don't we. Say that Beck is getting in this year, and let's talk about who would give the speech to induct Beck. Now, I have a, I have a few names written down.
2: David Miscavige.
1: <laughs> oh no, um, Not Tom anymore. Cruise.
2: Um, you know he is
1: good friends with Jack White,
2: and that's a very Hall pick too.
1: Yeah, they say that they're sitting on like an album's worth of material uh, that they've collaborated on together, and there's, some of that stuff has been released. I just- play together live a, a decent amount. They seem to be buds. Another person who has played live with Beck a bit and has appeared on some album tracks and I believe played with him at the Grammys was Chris Martin from Coldplay.
2: Also a very hall pick.
1: And he inducted <sighs> Peter Gabriel. So yeah, he is yeah. in what the What about mix Pharrell? Pharrell's the, the next that one. Was I was going to say.
0: say, I think Pharrell is the, is the no-brainer gimme. That's obvious. Like if you
2: can get Pharrell, yeah. get Pharrell. Like, they, you know, I mean, Pharrell's
0: on the board. The, yeah. the only reason you yeah. don't do Pharrell maybe
1: is because. To he, give him
2: to someone else. Well, he to yeah, him yeah give him to someone else
1: or he like he just inducted. I know it was Virtual, but he just inducted work He inducted now Rogers in in 2017. So it's just like I I just get the sense like
0: knowing everything I know about frell with his passion for Beck that he's like one of the guys who's like pounding the table to nominate Beck. Uh-huh. So I think I think there's a passion there. I mean, there's other like friends of Beck who make sense, like you know, like Wayne coin from the Flaming Lips. Yeah, I mean, like Wayne Coin's not a big enough name. HBO for, and for you gotta the, think the Rock. Yeah, rock. yeah. I, yeah. I feel like Becca's like widely loved enough that most people would want to give it a shot. But I think I think Pharrell is probably the best argument because he. I think he would have the the most interesting thing to say about him. Mm-hmm. I think. Well, I, and
2: he's not an obvious choice. I think if and you. that's fun. Yeah. I think that's what's fun. That's why I like it when they have people who you're just like, oh, I had no idea they were a huge fan of this person, or I had no idea that they were so influenced by this person and then you know they get to walk you through how they were you know it's not the obvious Mm -hmm. carol king yeah it's uh, kind of like if
0: kate bush does get in you would be like please get big boy like
2: yes there's no no more interesting celebrity who is
0: like known to be
1: a stan than him 100% Um, but you know the inductors are not always musicians and i think there's actually some people from the comedy side of things that Good could point. be included. I've, Judd Apatow and Beck seem to be really close friends. They're kind of in that Largo world where, mm-hmm. you know, Judd will do shows and Beck will, will play a few songs at them. He interviewed Beck for some album release. They seem to be tight. The Lonely Island, I also think, are... Oh, wow, yeah. Are, you know, if he's <laughs> Sandberg, Sandberg, Sandberg there. or all three of them, Beck was on a song that they did called Attracted to Us. so both did a song called super cool the the on the lego movie 2 soundtrack so they've collaborated a few times
0: I mean, like Mike D and or uh, Adam Horowitz would be like a really good choice too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. That's also
1: fun.
2: Just the coolest people in LA. Just
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Someone who straddles both the comedy and the music world who has collaborated with Beck before is Donald Glover.
0: Oh, I was gonna say Jack Black, but yeah, Donald Glover is another great choice.
2: If you could get Donald Glover to do anything, I applaud you. <laughs> I mean, I mean it. I, I mean, know. Well, I he's know. Like, I become a reclusive genius now. It's like so funny. He used to be such a kind of just like an affable guy who you were just like oh yeah the guy from community and he's out there doing stand-up and touring and things like that and now he's got a rap record but it's like a real sincere one it's kind of a kanye knockoff and now you're like oh no this man is actually just like like legit
0: between Atlanta and oh god, like Redbone, those two—I think those two yeah. things—like he has been so fully validated in both sides of what he does oh, yeah. that it's oh, like, yeah. oh no, this is America. Like, so it's like, yeah, yeah, like that guy. Uh,
2: no, he did it. I feel few people have achieved
0: on that level. It's, Few it's people unreal. have Both. gone
2: from being so close to corny, just riding that edge of being corny, and then absolutely flipped it to where you're like undeniable. I can't believe the the trick that he has pulled. It's like it's yeah. so impressive. Yeah. And then also, I think the art he makes is really impressive. It is as well. it's good. And then
0: also, as a bonus, he's Lando Calrissian.
2: Like what in the damn hell? And what a Simba. Life.
1: Okay, what a life. great. Okay. Uh, yeah. But you know the the collaboration with Beck kind of came before that that period of dominance. They have a song called Silk Pillow. Centrifugal
3: force pulling me off course in a horse race changing horses midstream 14th place.
1: And uh, I believe the yes. album title, because that's the in- like because the internet came from a conversation he had with Beck about like you know access to music that kind of stuff, and so you know there I I don't know if their friendship persists, but it definitely was intact at, at one point.
0: Yeah, I think one of the key points here is that Beck is a person that a lot of people love, and you probably can make a pretty long list of people who are like, oh yeah, I'll sure I'll do it. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of people who have any disdain for Beck. He seems like a person who's probably uh, very friendly to people at parties.
1: Uh-huh. Sorry, uh-huh.
2: Leah Remini did once famously call him a pussy apparently. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. But you know. <laughs> But no. to your point, yeah, there's, there's a lot of people who would do it, but there's not a lot of obvious names of like, mm-hmm. oh, that's the person who has to do it. So, yeah. you know, predicting it is maybe a little difficult. So if he gets inducted, he would perform uh, and he would do a three song set. What do we think would be the perfect three songs set for a Beck induction.
2: He was two, three opening tracks of Midnight Vultures. So you go Sex <laughs> Likes, Nicodemian Gravy.
1: So, I mean, obviously one of them would be would be Loser. I think maybe you end on Loser. You either open it or end No, no he, he opens on Loser usually. It's gotta
2: open, I feel like. Okay. And then I, I, I mean, Mixed Business is a fun, end, or Where It's At. Where It's at.
1: at, to me, it seems like it would probably be a part of it. And then maybe E-Pro because it's like so think I think those three are the ones to do. And if he wants to prove his relevance, he could do Dreams.
0: I mean, actually, if if I was going to switch out one of those three, I would be like, maybe you actually skip where it's at because that requires a whole different band setup, but maybe you play Lost Cause. You know, you just kind of show like a, a more dynamic range. In the middle, yeah. Yeah, you do bring Loser, it down. Lost Cause, and then E-Pro, you know. And you bring
2: it down you, from Loser with Lost Cause.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. And also, I think that's actually really funny to get your Lifetime Achievement Award while singing about being a Loser and a, lost cause.
1: a lost cause.
0: <laughs> yeah. God damn. That's great. Uh, well, Matthew, I want to
1: thank you so much for, for joining us here. This was great. And I want to give you the opportunity to plug whatever you'd like, whether it's your social media or your writing or whatever.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, I do flux blog, and that's uh, Fluxblog.org. And on Twitter, I'm Perpetua, P-E-R-P-E-T-U-A. And between those two things, you can find all the other things I have going on. So yeah. Perfect.
1: Uh, and our listeners know they can follow us at RockallPod on Twitter and Instagram. RockallPod at gmail.com is the email if you want Kristen to see your message. You need to designate that somewhere in your email. Otherwise, I'm not going to forward it because she doesn't want to read it, subscribe to us on Apple podcasts, rate, review us five stars. Only I beg of you, anything less than five. We did get a four recently. And listen, I, I appreciate your, please. I appreciate your honesty, but that's just four is not going to help us. It actually, it hurts us. But I hope the person who gave that review enjoyed this episode. I think you can edit a review. I don't know. Thank you to yeah. Mike Lloyd for the logo. Thank you to Yusu Kim for the music. And thank you to Pantheon Podcast for hosting us. I'm Joe Quazala.
2: I'm Kristen Studdard.
1: And who cares
2: about the Rock Hall?